0: You're listening to the iHeart Radio Talk Network, and this is the Evan Solomon Show.
1: Happy Monday, Canada! What a day today! We got lots cooking. How's everyone doing? This is a big week, big week in Ontario, the big election on Thursday. We'll talk a lot about that today. We'll get the latest numbers. Big week in the conservative leadership race, the membership drive, June 3rd. That is a bonkers date. That's the big, outside of the September 10th election day, this is the big day in that race. So this is a big race. Today will be an historic day. Sources at Prime Minister's office telling me that the new gun control bill that will be tabled at 4.30 Eastern today will be the largest suite of gun control measures in a generation, to quote a senior source. That's at 4.30. The Prime Minister is going to speak then. Marco Mendicino, the Minister of Public Safety, uh, Mayor John Tory in Toronto will be there. This is a big, big deal. Also breaking today, there will be... In about half an hour, the report from the former Supreme Court Justice Louise Arbour on sexual assault in the military. She's finally got a report. The government's had it in their hands for about 10 days. They're going to accept it all, but what's in it? How do you fix the broken culture of sexual assault in the military? So that's coming. So there's a lot on the process. So we got lots on the deck today. I want to begin with a couple things. First, if you will permit me. It is my mom's 80th birthday today. She is beautiful, smart, incredible, generous. She is curious. And I'm so lucky to have my mom, who, of course, my dad, we lost my dad just over six months ago. My mother has been nothing short of courageous and embracing life as my dad would have loved it. And wanted her to with his great laugh. So mom, happy birthday. I love you. You're fantastic. What a great mom and a great grandma, a great friend. And she still inspired. She's just remarkable. And she stayed with us for about a couple of weeks and she loves to garden, among other things. Clip articles and, and, and teach me new words. She corrects my grammar on air. She says, Why do you drop your G's like coming up? She thinks that's wrong. So she loves her grammar. She told me the difference between a daffodil and, oh God, I've forgotten, Mom, some narcissist. It starts with a J. Now I've forgotten. She knows a lot about a lot. Anyway, I just hope uh, all of us are still so alive with curiosity. And so my mom's great. So happy happy 80th. Uh, my power came back on 10 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday night. My, You just thank you to the hydro crews who have worked triple-triple overtime. Hydro crews, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're on the hydro crew, we know you've been busting it out. We know you've been working hard. Uh, we were among the last. There are still like 7,000 people without power. It sucks. Some people said to me, Evan – now, do you understand what it's like to be in an indigenous reserve without boiled water? Yes, I, I, I don't understand that in that way. But yeah, we all, anytime you're lacking the basics, it is terrible. And I really, a lot of people said, get a generator, buddy. And I, and I live downtown Ottawa. you think maybe I don't need that kind of thing? Maybe you do now. Get a Generac7, get a generator. And those people that have it had their moment. And, anyway, that first hot shower was awesome. We were very happy about that. Thank you, hydro workers. So this is like a gratitude moment on a Monday. Mom, thank you. Hydro workers, thank you. Congratulations to our producer, Samantha, and we're going to do a segment on this, who ran her first Spartan race this week? And If you don't know what a Spartan race is, those are these obstacle courses. You run up a mountain. You jump through hoops, you go under barbed wire, you climb things, you do burpees, you jump over fire. I've done it. They're fantastic. They're great. Samantha and her brother did it. And we're going to talk about what is your biggest challenge, that you, the challenge that you've done in your life. And I say that because Sunday, as I was working on Question Period, I rode my bike to work because all our streets are closed because the Ottawa Marathon, it's Ottawa Race Weekend. The The marathon and the half marathon were being run Sunday morning. And all the streets are closed, and I was biking to work early because the car, you can't drive anywhere in Ottawa on race weekend, especially in the morning. And of course, I've run that marathon a number of times. I've run the half marathon a number of times. I love race weekend, it's a fantastic day. And I missed running it this week, this year. But uh, it was great to see people out there doing a challenge. And at one point when I came back from work, my wife, uh, I brought my wife out, and and we were urging on the runners, and because I know what it's like when you're running a marathon, and people are like go, go, it means something, man, it really does. And this one guy, an elderly guy, he was running the marathon. Really, you know, obviously he's way back. Uh, I mean, he was in. A, in I'm not going to say his time, but it was not. You know, he's just he's there to finish. And he looked at us and he said, "It's so hard." And he almost and he started to walk. And my wife burst into tears. I'm like, honey, why are you crying? She said, I, I cried every time you run marathons. I always cry. I said, I, I had no idea. And I, when I was biking back, I was cheering on the, the runners. And this one gentleman who was running, and I said, come on, man. And I'm on my bike on the sidewalk, and I'm saying, come on, great pace. And he said, stay with me, sir. Stay with me. I need someone to talk to. Stay with me. So I biked beside him for a while up a hill. And he said, just talk to me. Just talk to me. I can't make it. I'm having a hard time. And I said to him, is this your first marathon? You got this. And he looked at me and he said, it's my 10th. Please stay with me. I need you to talk to me. (laughs) Your 10th marathon. And then he said, I'll never do another one. I said, you will. You know this. You got this. And just seeing people dig, dig. To challenge themselves. Dig so deep. So we'll talk about that. When have you set a challenge for yourself. That you had to dig deep. I love those. Because you learn a lot. Now. Coming up on the show. I'm going to talk to. The son of Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. Who was assassinated as you know. And his son Martin Luther King III. Junior and 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 he, his father as you know spoke he he I asked him you know because we're talking about guns we're talking about what happened in Uvalde Texas and today Canada is going to have its big gun legislation and I, and I asked him you know when your dad was assassinated and now you see after all these massacres of children and 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 and, and who among us Who among us can even think about what's happened to those 19 children, two teachers in Uvalde and not your, your, your words are at a loss. The scope of the tragedy is too big. It's like staring at the sun. You can't do it. It's too, it just hurts your, your eyes. It's just, it burns you up. It burns you to your soul. And and so we avoid it. And I said to Martin Luther King Jr. As you're going to hear, I said, how, how, how do you not fall into despair, sir? And he said, as my father said, we have to hew the rock of hope out of the mountain of despair we have to hew the rock of hope out of the mountain of despair and that that just stuck with me so i'm going to play it for you next because we're about to get into a massive debate about gun gun safety And when the liberals announce this suite at 430 Eastern today, it's going, you know, we're going to get into the debate. Are we targeting legal gun owners? And as soon as that happens, we get away from what's happened, which is the massacre of kids in Texas. Now, people might say, well, we don't have that here. We do not nearly on the same level. But we're going to get to the point as to where, you know, society is about choices. What kind of choices are we making as a society? So in order to start the Monday where there's so much news, I'm going to start with Martin Luther King, the third, and he's going to talk about his reaction to Uvalde. Then we're going to go to the Ontario election and we'll get the latest numbers and find out the remarkable campaign of Doug Ford. Folks, it's remarkable. That's next.
0: Authentic voices, real conversations. This is The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Later
1: today, there will be probably the most comprehensive suite of gun safety control measures in Canadian history. That's according to a senior source. Red flag laws, mandatory turning over of uh, assault white weapons. The new handgun restrictions are going to be a big deal when uh, Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino and the, and the Prime Minister roll it out today. Um, there will be, remember, there's supposed to be a, a, a buyback program that was going to be voluntary. It's going to be mandatory. So those things are coming. But it's been a week since that gunmen slaughtered 19 young, beautiful, innocent angels and two teachers in Uvalde, Texas. Mass shootings in the U.S. They've gone from 269 in 2014 to 600 in 2020, and they've they've gone up since the assault weapon ban under clinton was rescinded under bush there's already been 26 school shootings in the u.s so so what is anything going to change or is it just going to be more of the same i spoke to the human rights activist martin luther king the third and i asked him is america finally ready sir And, and always a pleasure to talk to you to add gun safety laws or not will anything change well i think
2: um the tragedy, in my judgment, is that um, Americans are ready. Uh, the vast majority of them, I am not certain that Congress is ready. Uh, certainly, the Democratic side has proven over and over again by passing legislation um, on a number of occasions, certainly right after March for Our Lives back in 2018. Uh, And then, you know, the the Democrats over a period of time passed a number of sweeping bills, but the Senate will not pass or thus far has not. I'm not able to say for sure if uh, they will. I don't, I personally am one who is always hopeful, but I honestly do not have a lot of hope uh that the senate will do anything uh the republicans are standing in the way they always do it is very sad i am not convinced what it takes to get people to move to action uh, when so many lives are consistently being lost by these horrific incidents i thought quite frankly m- some years ago when newtown connecticut, in tw- connecticut occurred in 20 20- six children were killed that something was going to happen now we've had 10 persons in buffalo a few weeks ago and just a few days back we had uh, 19 tragic children once again and two teachers and yet uh, the uh, arguments continue to be made for more guns we are a very sick nation and no one is saying that or accepting that uh, but sir, I have no...
1: Hope. Sir, sir, I just, I just think you say that. It's almost like there's two Americas. As, as you evolve, the, the grieving is happening there. 280 miles away in Houston, Texas, the National Rifle Association is holding its annual um, convention, um, and, and Donald Trump spoke there. Uh, the senator in Texas, Ted Cruz, said, you know who's to blame? Mm-hmm. He said fatherless children, video games. President Trump said that this proves more guns are needed, not less guns. He's even advocating arming teachers. What's your response to that?
2: None of those are the correct solution. Um, It's a sad day, Uh, even in my own state. um, The governor passed legislation a few weeks ago in in the state of Georgia so that you don't even have to have a registration. Anyone can get a gun and carry anywhere. Uh, that is going to be fatal for us at some point. And again, I, I don't want to be a naysayer or a negative person, but I do want to deal in truth. The answer, darkness cannot put out darkness. My father used to say only light can do that. I mean, the National Rifle Association has certainly can do what it wants to do, but it's tone deaf for President Trump to say we need more guns or Ted Cruz or anybody. More guns is not the solution. The question I have is similar to what Bi- President Biden said, and I thought about that long ago. Why is it that a country with 351, 350 million people uh, has all of these incidents, and yet countries that have over a billion people don't have the incidents at the same level the United States is doing? We've got to evaluate, to take a mm-hmm. deep evaluation of what is going on. Part of the problem is, yes, there are too many guns and they're the wrong guns. There are no background treks. There are all kinds of things that could be done. Simple, reasonable, responsible gun legislation. But the gun manufacturers, along with uh, the National Rifle Association, which is so strong, are not willing to do anything, um, are not willing to encourage something positive i should say
1: a bipartisan group of senators are meeting they say over the next few days to try to reach a deal maybe it's red flag laws or background checks that, you, that you've talked about as many people don't have hope and just just before i let you go sir um, your own father you mentioned martin luther king assassinated more than fifty years ago uh... people how and my grandmother
2: by the way my grandmother in
1: 1974 and your grandmother so how do people deal with that you've been fighting the, uh, the gun crime since your father um, how, how do you not fall into despair
2: well what I know is that uh, you know the the, the race uh, is never given to the swift or the strong but those who endure to the end and that's what we have to do we have to find a way to to uh, hew out of a mountain of despair. My dad, despair, my dad used to say, we have to find a way to hew out of a mountain of despair, a stone of hope. And so I am hopeful. I am not optimistic about it happening, but I am hopeful and I'm gonna always be. And we're gonna keep on fighting. We're gonna keep on pushing. We will get legislation at some point. Um, And it's sad that all these incidents have to keep Mm -hmm. happening. Uh, to hurt individuals, this is certainly something that can be addressed. It's just that the people in Congress and senators, specifically in the republic on the Republican side, refuse to act. Um, mm. I just believe at some point enough is going to be enough. Enough is enough for me when the first one happened. But enough has got to be enough to ultimately get some action. Right.
1: 19 children, two teachers. When is it enough? Uh, Martin Luther King the third, sir, I appreciate you joining us uh, on this Sunday morning. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Martin Luther King third. Now, today, there's going to be a Canadian element of this. And then we are going to have this debate. And I'd love to hear from you at 71010. There will be legislation tabled on handguns. Now, I don't think there's going to be a national ban, but remember, the liberals said municipalities and provinces that want to do it, they'll get control. They'll get the ability to do it. There will be changes to the criminal code. That's a change to the provision of the criminal code. That will happen. I spoke to the Justice Minister, David Lametti yesterday about it. He said, yeah, I'm involved in this. He'll be there today. So they're going to make criminal code changes. There's going to be a mandatory buyback of guns. Not Again, not voluntary mandatory, especially for all those guns, 1,500, that this government has classified as assault style. Now, the most popular among them are, are the variations of the AR-15, which was used in the massacre in Texas. There's going to be a way to, out. I think they're going to ban high-capacity firearm uh, magazines. There will. They've said that. But it's happening. There'll be money because they'll be criticized for this on smuggling. They're going they're going to talk about gun smuggling because so many guns come in. So that's happening today. Is there going to be as some are reporting the globe reported there's going to be a cap on the number of firearm licensings? and new handguns will be tough to get in. So Canada's about to crack down. So we'll find out at 4:30 today. But we'll keep an eye on that and I'd love to hear from you on that. This is happening. In the meantime, I think the most remarkable act of political campaigning has happened in Ontario. We're going to dig into that campaign next.
0: Strong views. Powerful opinions. The Evan Solomon Show continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network.
1: I don't know what's going to happen in the Ontario election, but I do think if the polls are right, Doug Ford's going to walk away to a majority. Stephen Del Duca, the Liberal leader, may leap in seats, but he may lose his own seat. And Andrea Horvath, in her fourth campaign, will be out of a job. And here's the remarkable thing, and I, and I, I got to give credit to Doug Ford. This is one of the most remarkable campaigns I've ever seen, if it holds. Now, you never know, and I'll tell you why, real quick, because the polls are remarkable. You think if you're an incumbent and gas is approaching $2 a liter, the housing cr- affordability crisis, especially around the greater Toronto area, is a disaster. It's been the top of the news. The long-term care homes were eviscerated during COVID. No one talks about that. 13,272 people lost their lives in the last two years in COVID. Not a peep. High gas prices. High affordability prices. Disastrous COVID. You would think Doug Ford would be in trouble. Wor- that's the thing about an incumbent. High inflation rates. That her- Nothing's touching the guy. No one's laying a glove on the guy. In fact, people are saying he's, he's the best guy. So what is going on in Ontario? To understand that, we had to go to Monaco where John Wright, the executive vice president of Maru Public Opinion, is. And I was watching the delayed start of the Monaco Grand Prix. It was raining in Monaco. And I thought, oh, my God. So they delayed it, and they delayed it. And, of course, the race was run, and the, one of the great races of all time. And who was there but our good friend John Wright? Wow, very cool. There's a little delay. On the on First up, there's two races. You're watching the Grand Prix race. So give me your word on the Grand Prix and then the word on the Grand Prix Ontario. Well, thanks,
3: Evan. It was—it's kind of a trip of a lifetime. My two older boys and I—they're both Formula One gearheads, so we had to be here for that. And then we're flipping up into the battlefields of France, where my father, their great grand—my grandfather, their great grandfather fought. And uh, then we'll be there for D-Day on Juno Beach and head home. So a really great uh, visit for us. But yes, it rained, but then it was great afterwards. It was an exciting race, even though. If you get the pole position, you uh, you're supposed yes. to win, but that didn't happen in this case. And then the last thing is, uh, my son met the winner, Perez afterwards. So I gotta tell you, I feel like a great dad right now.
1: You know what? I, I wouldn't mind joining your family. The trip, uh, thanks for your grand your grandfather's service. The trip to, see, to be there on D-Day and saving Juno Beach from the condo, I hope that happens. Seeing the Grand Prix, a mistake that Leclerc, who was in the, the pole position, should have won that, but he did a stupid pit stop, which means anything can happen in a race. A dumb call can change decisions, and that's the perfect segue to Ontario. What's going on?
3: Well, there's a couple of things that are really important in this race. First of all, there just is not the desire for change. In the last election campaign, 63% of people wanted to throw the government out, this time only 48%. Secondly, people have to realize you don't need a majority to get a majority. You need about 37 38%. And the Conservatives have hung in there. Uh, for the last many months. Even if you go back, even to uh, the COVID days, the premier's approval rating for the handling of COVID was always around 40 to 43 percent. So a majority may not have liked it, but it's not enough to, you know, be on the bad side of an election. And I guess uh, the, the third thing is, you know, you're looking at uh, two leaders, one not particularly known in Mr. Del Duca, who still has you know, a legacy with the former Liberal Party. And you look at Andrew Horvath, who's got, you know, her first time, not so much a charm. The polls really haven't moved forward. Um, the last thing I'd say is this. What you said off at of the top is is perfect. You know, when you think of the Conservatives, the wheelhouse for them is economics. It's about affordability. It's about, um, you know, making sure that jobs in the economy are running well. So this is right in their spot. It, it, the... The COVID issue and dealing with long-term care, that's kind of in the rearview mirror. But they also went around to parts of Ontario before the election was called and made a lot of investments in long-term care homes anyway. So a great campaign run by the two campaign managers, uh, Corey Tanaik and Nick Kuvallis, who have really staged this by hoisting the budget, making sure the government can come back and implement
1: the gas tax uh, leverage. But the other two uh, really haven't broken through in any way, shape or form. It's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, how uh, I credit the Ford campaign with weaving through some of the most, you know, an incumbent usually gets hurt by inflation, an incumbent usually gets hurt by mishandling a crisis, gas prices, an incumbent is hurt by a lot of different things, Uh, housing price, and and, and I think it's either one, a brilliant campaign by Ford, and as you say, the transformation of Doug Ford from, from 1.0, the populist who was angry, to the kind of pragmatist. You know, if, if it means shaking hands with uh, Justin Trudeau. I mean, I thought that photo up at the beginning of the campaign at uh, uh, auto factories where Justin Trudeau is basically hugging it out with Doug Ford said it all. And then the incompetence of the opposition not able to lay a glove on this guy.
3: No, you're absolutely right. A few things on that. Number one, the first year of Doug Ford was a disaster, going from 40% of the vote and the approval ratings down to about 23. They eliminated his chief of staff. They brought in some people They began to rehabilitate. His numbers were on the rise. But then COVID hit, and all the premiers across this country went up to about 65% approval rating. So that's where he kind of starts, and he got all the way down to where he is today, around 38%. So they managed it well. They got out of the well. The second thing, though, is, Doug Ford made a very important statement months ago, and that is, we're fighting over the same voters. When you go to the 905, particularly in Brampton and some of the other places that are around Toronto, that is really the gateway for getting a majority government, you are fighting over Liberal votes and Tory votes. Two things have happened. Number one, you're not seeing that kind of fight take place. There's no proxy war going on, and Doug Ford has managed to be out there and in the 905 and talking about construction and jobs in the highways and that's, you know, for commuters. The second thing is that he's got 30 to 35% of union households. That's yeah. critical because he's building infrastructure and all that sort of stuff. And lastly, the Liberals just have not been able to recover as much in those areas because he's been able to blunt it without having a proxy. So he's had a lot of things going for him, and the others have had a pretty tough time beating him on that score.
1: Let's talk about this. Uh, speaking with John Wright from Arrow. The fact that the unions are endorsing Doug Ford, not the, not the NDP and the Liberals, I, I, I think, folks, we shouldn't underestimate what this means in terms of a seismic shift in Ontario. And if you're a conservative across the country, what that means. Because you've got to pay attention to that. That is consequential, John. The first
3: campaign that I was ever privy to looking at was when I was a parliamentary intern at Queen's Park, and that was 1981. And even back then, Evan, Cliff Pilkey, you probably remember, and Davis, Bill Davis, were trading barbs over wage and price controls. I have never, like I've been on the front steps of Queens Park when the horses were up there against the union protesting Mike Harris. I've spent an awful lot of my time. I've even seen... Bob Ray get eaten alive by the unions, I've never seen anything like this. It may not be the biggest unions endorsing him, but when two and two is put together, it's unions plus construction, plus the economy, plus trades. Monty McNaughton has done a great job in reaching out and forging those relationships, and it certainly is not going to the NDP this time. It's going to two things. Number one, the conservative government who is promising the things that the unions, this group are looking for. And number two, it's for its own brand. Can't mistake the fact that Doug Ford—he may not be liked in downtown Toronto, but there are other parts of the city and other parts of the province where, in fact, the brand mm. is carrying. And we'll see where it's going in the north as well. So they've done a great job in in doing this kind of campaign and making inroads into the places that I can't recall
1: conservatives it, doing so. Folks, progressives, if you're a progressive, this is a this is a turning point moment. I've got a minute, John. Does Stephen Del Duca win his seat?
3: Hard to tell. It really is. Um, I think, you know, we don't have the Look, I don't even know whether he's going to end up in opposition or Andrea's going to end up in office. I just have no idea. And the reason is because while they may be leading in the polls right now or the Liberals, you don't know whether that's enough to gain the seats that they need to get. All I know is this. There will be some changes in downtown Toronto, probably, back to the Liberals. Out in certain areas, it's going to be a, yeah. a little tougher of a fight. But in Vaughan, it's going to be very tough because you've got an incumbent and conservative machine that's going after right. Mr. Del Duca. We'll have to wait and see whether we're out of two leaders that night or whether both of them stay in. Um,
1: remarkable. Uh, John Wright, um, first of all, the great pollster, the executive vice president of of Public Opinion, enjoy your trip with your two sons uh, honoring our men and women and your own grandfather. Thank you, sir. we got lots to come on the program. Stay with us.
0: Nickel and diming the conversations, literally. It's Evan Solomon on the iHeartRadio Talk Network.
1: Okay, we we begin with breaking news right now. Louise Arbour, the retired Supreme Court justice, has finally made public her military report saying that dramatic changes are needed in the military around sexual misconduct. One of the key recommendations, and I've got them in my hand finally, is that all sexual misconduct and sexual assault cases should be dealt with in civilian courts. In other words, the military is no longer capable of dealing with this fairly. They can't do it. The progress has been bad. They need to make dramatic changes immediately. And uh, Louise Arbor, right now, breaking news, is outlining those cases right now. So the military has got to clean up its act And one way to do it is you basically can't prosecute your own. And the reason is because the former CDS, the former chief of the defense staff, the former top ranking official, as my my former colleague Mercedes Stevenson broke for global, um, had to admit that he was having an affair with a, a member and he was above the law and he lied about it. And so now, you know, when the senior ranks like that, and there are many others who have been uh, facing allegations of sexual harassment and abuse or having inappropriate relationships with people under their command in their chain of command, it's a mess. It's a disaster. And so now Louise Arbor is saying, get it out of their hands. Get it out of their hands. They get, They can't do it. In the meantime, I want to go back to our text and calls board. And and I it to get calls at 1-855-633-1010, one 633 1010 or 71010. What issue defines your election choice? By the way, we will have um, a survivor of military sexual assault on the program uh, in about uh, a half an hour to get reaction to this. You know we always get people who have experienced it not not just commentators people who have who know what it's like inside people who know what it's like to be a survivor of sexual assault. But what defines your election choice? 1855-633-1010 or 71010. And I'll tell you why I'm asking you this. I'm 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 marveling at the Ford campaign. In the last three, four days of it, where you think, okay, before the campaign, long-term care home deaths, the COVID disaster, the school situation, shutting down schools. That's going to really hurt Doug Ford. Under his watch, 13,272 Canadians died. 41,042 have died across the country. No one mentions it. No one mentions the fact that we've got inflation at over 6%. I'm not blaming Doug Ford for the inflation. I get that. But leaders usually face that. Doug Ford's not in charge of the inflation issue. Doug Ford wasn't necessarily in charge of the COVID, but he he made real choices on COVID. That one you can blame people on. Long-term care home, privatization, lack of inspection, decisions that were not made. But housing prices in the GTA... This guy has moved through all that. It is remarkable. So then you think, what is the choice? I actually don't think this choice, this election is about anything more than people don't want change. They're sick of it. The people of Ontario have realized that Doug Ford has changed and he's evolved. He was talking to Reg Con of the the Toronto Star. And I know he's he's made a -a peekaboo campaign. I get that. He barely talks to a lot of me, but he has. And people just think, you know what? The guy's changed. He's no longer the firebrand populist that he was uh, four years ago. He uh, he's learned. He's moderate. And whether you believe that or not, that's the brand that he's selling. Uh, Bruce from Lindsay, what's cooking? What what is your what is what issue defines your election choice? At ten ten Bruce.
4: Evan, thanks for having me on. Definitely, what we're going to be talking about at four thirty. I'm all about the. Uh, weapons and the weapon banning i'm a i'm a uh i have a, a certificate i'm i'm registered and everything and it people don't realize how difficult it is to have a hand pistol and we, hoops you have to jump over and every time i turn on the radio it seems like the liberals are constantly going after my rights and i'm getting sick and tired of being a criminal when i'm not one
1: yeah i, I just want so to tell I'm you definitely- so i i have i took the uh, possession and acquisition license myself the pal course um we we got it we registered it because you know i don't think they're going to go after hunters but they probably and, and i don't know if they're going to go after sport shooters with a handgun but i do think you're right um this is this is first going to be sweeping i don't know what they're going to do about handguns they may ban them uh i don't think it's going to be a national ban but they're moving against them so do you have handguns in your home
4: yes i do and like i said i've taken the. You have to take a separate course, as you yeah. know, Evan, for right. uh, to own hand pistols, and you, and like I said, we have to have background checks and everything. And when those weapons are moved from space to like spot to spot, we have to call the the RCMP, the OPP, and inform them where they're moving, how they're getting there, the direction they're going. There's a lot to it, and I don't understand why people think like why they have to continuously go after people that just want to own something.
1: Yeah, listen, I appreciate the call. I think you're, first of all, this is a hugely divisive issue, as you know. And anytime there's what happened in Texas, things change. Um, I think one of the great challenges in in societies is there are people like you who are sensible, responsible, legitimate owners of guns. And for people that don't like guns, they'll say, why do you need them? And there's stats on domestic uh, deaths and suicides with handguns. But there are a lot of rules around guns now, and, and and well, let's find out what happens today. I don't want to pre-debate it because I don't, I don't, you know what I mean. You and I were, we might. I don't want to have a pre-debate on this, but it's a fair point, and that's a defining issue for you, Bruce. I appreciate it. Let's see what happens at 4:30. I think that's a fair point. Uh, Todd, what's up?
5: Yeah. Um, election issue is, is individual rights and responsibilities. It seems like the biggest difference between left and right these days is. What, co- what causes outcomes? Is it individual choices and responsibilities, or is it more, you know, uh, systems of um, the environment? Uh, you know, it seems like the left is looking for every reason other than individual choice and responsibilities. On, so, on, what what particular, on
1: what? one particular issue, Todd?
5: Well, like even COVID. Look at COVID. Um, you know, the right was like, okay, you know the risks. Take them if you want. Um the left was like, no, we need to control the the environment, so because we, we don't trust you to make choices. There, I, I
1: guess my, my question on that is, I think you need look. Individual freedoms are paramount in a democracy. But what happens like in a in a pandemic when your freedom may infringe on my safety? Is that like it's like a seatbelt law? Like like are you against seatbelt law? I'm I'm asking a serious question. No, not,
5: not at all. I think mean, you know we, again we know the risks. We know the the, the right choices. We have to trust people to take those, those make those right choices. The left seem like they don't want people to even have the choice.
1: Uh, I appreciate the call. I think you're probably right. That's a can, that's a real dividing line, which is this. You know, we call it size of government or personal freedoms, or uh, and where are the lines? I think both both of these sides, both the left and the right, are screwing up on this because they're not explaining their positions properly. I think that's a real issue. I think that's a fair question. Gosh, I have a ton of text on that. Let me come back to this issue. This is blowing up later in the program. we got a great story next, though.
0: You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show.
1: So during the pandemic, kids were studying online and you always think, you know what? I'm going to be a great parent. I'm going to have my kids study online and I'm going to make sure it's great material. And when they watch TV, it's going to be educational and that's the future. And I'm really going to go to the best sources. I'm going to make sure that my kids are really going to learn from the best sources. And then we learn because of a globe and Mail and 12 other or media organizations who had access to data from the human rights Watch and they say that all these education platforms in 49 different countries guess what they did they broke and 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 infringed on the the rights of kids and took their data and their browsing histories and sold it yeah, they weren't educating the kids so much as using them as data mining and profit-making machines. And Timur Durrani is a technology reporter for The Globe and Mail who's done superb work on this. Timur, great to have you on here. Thank you for having me. Can you give us a sense, like for a lot of people out there, they think, well, you know, I know, you know, I click on accept and and all these sites, they basically know my browsing history and I get it. We're, but what's different about this with online for kids' personal information. What happened here?
6: Mm -hmm. So in a nutshell, our global investigation, what it found was that online platforms and educational technology in 49 countries, including uh, six, outlets in Canada specifically, six educational technology tools in Canada, allegedly violated children's rights by harvesting their personal information and sending it to advertisers or data brokers. And in this case, some of the, you know, as you talked about during COVID, obviously governments had quickly jumped into supporting in some way or another, whether they were mandated them, whether they were, um, you know, procuring these outlets themselves, these educational tools themselves, or whether they were just merely recommending them. But what they did was they turned to towards these different apps and websites, which are educational apps and websites. Um, And these corporations quickly started scanning over kids' data. Very quickly, they started sort of tapping into these habits uh, of a young captive audience, you know, for an extended period of time, which they hadn't gotten before. And some of the details about, you know, the things that they were able to collect include, you know, information about who these children were, uh, where they were located, you know, what they did in their classrooms, who their family members and friends were, what kind of devices their, you know, carrying givers are giving them Um, but then also any website that for example had nothing to do with school once they would go on to that during their class or after their class from the same device or sometimes even other devices all of that information could be collected if they doodled on a virtual whiteboard or you know uh, whether they were uh searching for something online anything all of that data could be collected and all of that what it did was it built, started building this picture and that was just the start of this the idea was to build a profile on different kids and be able to tap into their habits and then sort of predict exactly you know the kind of things they would want um it was intimate details so for example sometimes they could tap into the child's sleeping patterns if it was important in the case of you know understanding exactly how the child would operate um and and then they would start sort of recommending different products to the kids, uh- putting up advertisements but it wasn't just ads either you know so in the case with hrw what they found which is the human rights watch what they found was that in some cases kids were being uh given content that, that was completely against you know what their their end of the deal was you know signing on to it from a parent's perspective mm-hmm. you don't think these are things you're going to start seeing as a result of it but that was kind of the idea and then in, in a nutshell of sort of the details of uh kind of kind of the details of what kids were getting yeah
1: A tech reporter for the global Mail, um, t- talk about, first of all, um, are they breaking rules? I know in the States that there has to be parental consent to collect data, right? Uh, tell me how old these kids were, if they're breaking any laws here. And, and, and frankly, if you can, uh, what, sh- what are these allegations against What particular organizations here? OK, so, well, in Canada, it's very
6: interesting because part of it is uh, and this was something so I talked to a bunch of experts about it um, who told me that that's kind of biggest reason for why for so long before even the pandemic, a lot of these companies have gotten away with this. Of course, this was different because this was kids. And so there was a different level of consent involved. None of that consent was, you know, given from parents. Parents, most of the times, didn't even know that this data was being collected by these apps. It was the government sort of that had quickly signed on to them and didn't actually realize that this was, you know, already happening. Some of the governments didn't even probably know that this was happening because that was not part of the, you know, they didn't need to be informed because there was nothing technically illegal happening. In the U.S., parental concerns about privacy protections for this nature have led to legislation, um, and that legislation is, you know, the COPA, which is Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, and that requires, as you said, parental consent for collecting such personal information from children under 13. But in Canada, we don't have any applicable law, and the only applicable law that we have here is a human uh, convention on the rights of the child, which Provinces are bound as signatories to that, but language in that actual law, which is the UN law, is very, very vague. You know, like, so in other words, they're not line.
1: breaking law. They can swipe any data they want, and there's no recourse for parents. Exactly, exactly. There's
6: not much, you know, really there legally that you can actually call out. Um, I'm going to read you a really good quote that I got from an expert, which she really, I think, nailed it in the way that she sort of described exactly the problem with a lot of uh, companies and the way that they're, you know, sort of why they're allowed exactly in this case. And in this case, CBC Kids was really important. So I do want to talk about, you know, as you said, some of the companies that have been named here. CBC Kids was actually named as a, as a worldwide global study in this case by HRW because of almost breaking every single rule that HRW was looking at in terms of how this was collected. And so this speaker, so she, she, she's a, she's a consultant, she's a lawyer as well, um, and she consults on data consulting. Her name's Sharon Bauer. She said the way that a lot of companies get away with this data collection is to say they do not know the identity of the child, that they're not collecting their names, that they're not, you know, doing any facial recognition work, and it's completely anonymized information. And then she says, and if it's anonymous information, then it's not personal information. And then if if it's not personal information, privacy legislations don't apply.
1: So, you know, there's always an excuse sort of the next step. And that's they, where they, they, they called anonymized out. data. Like we don't, it's, it's just, it's general data. It's not about your kid.
6: Exactly, exactly. But, you know, in the case for CBC, which is a really good study, actually, to understand exactly how this was done, um, some of the partners that they work with, so the advertisers and the data brokers who they actually sell this data to, they claim, and this is a big claim for them, and they really go out of their way if you go on their websites with these data companies um, and these ad brokers. You go on their websites and you'll find they say, we create the best intimate profile for whoever you're looking for. We will tie along it. We will give you the best information, all the information. So they really tout themselves to know everything about the clients that you're trying to reach with your products. And in this case, that was kids. Um, And so what we found was in a majority of cases, in fact, for six of the companies that we found in Canada, all of those companies had been doing it in this way, where what they did was that data was sent to these companies um, and they start IDing the kids Mm -hmm. and coming across a very intimate profile on them.
1: By the way, CBC, in your article, and I only have just a minute and a half here, they mm-hmm. said that CBC explicitly prohibits targeting both our traditional and online programming. They said in a statement to The Globe that they comply with relevant Canadian laws and regulations with regards to online privacy and follows industry practices and in audience analytics and privacy protections. What, what do you make of that? Correct. Correct. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. So so in our
6: statement, I'm glad we reached out to them uh, apart from HRW as well, because when HRW reached out to them, uh, again, they said something similar. But in that case, they also had highlighted that they were still working, that they're ad free, although they still work with at least four uh, different ad companies involving Lotami, Oracle, Facebook and Newstar, which they say are all inactive trackers. You know, they're Mm, not tracking you for that reason. And because there is no law,
1: it's kind of, it's kind of a moot statement because it's like, what law are you following? Right. So it's like, so, so that's the thing It's like, we comply with the law. Guess what? It's like, it's a wild west out there. So what should people be aware of? I got a minute here. uh, What should people be aware of real quick?
6: I think they should be aware of exactly the level of tracking that each educational app does for your kid, right? So you need to be aware of actually going through, because we think that governments have recommended these things to us, and it means the due diligence is done there. I think if there's one highlight that parents can take away from this is that we should start reading up on those, you know, agreed quick terms and conditions that we look at. And in this case, it's really important.
1: Your are reporting uh, along with a global report. This is really eye-opening, uh, Folks, there's so much going on under the surface. When I mean, Anytime you click on these things. Uh, tomorrow, Durrani, technology reporter with The Globe. Absolutely phenomenal work. Well explained. Uh, I just can't tell you how much I thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Uh, right now, there's a live press conference about this sexual assault in the military. Uh, we will bring on a survivor of a military sexual assault next to React. Is it enough? That's next on the show.
0: If they said it, we'll call them on it. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network.
1: The military should not be the ones in charge of any legal process involving sexual assault and harassment. That is one of the key takeaways today from the Louise Arbour report into sexual misconduct. It's got to go to the civilian courts. The military can't oversee this. It's destroying the culture of the military right now. Breaking news right now. You're going to hit a breaking news thing there, Chris. The defense minister is speaking right now about survivors and victims groups saying, look, we are going to make dramatic changes. The question is, is it enough? Well, for Sam... Samplonius, a survivor of military sexual assault and the co-chair person of It's Not Just 20,000K, a support and advocacy group for victims of military sexual assault and trauma. Is this enough? As She joins us now. First of all, thank you for your service to our country. Um, What did you make of this report? 48 recommendations today that the federal government has to, to make. We've seen this movie before, report after report, nothing's changed.
7: Yes, it's true. Um, and that's one of the things that we, we going to this being very cautiously optimistic, as always. Um, we are hopeful that with the changes that have been going on so far and the, the buy-in from Lots of people, um, in particular the minister, um, she's made it quite clear to us as a group whenever we've had meetings with her, to uh, her commitment to making these changes is definitely sincere. Um, again, though, everything, there's the, the will to do something, and then there's the ways to do something, and there's not always the way. Um, it's that, that fine balance of trying to get the will and the ways together, and of course, mm. things cost money. Um, that's what my biggest concern would be is that it's, you know, we have these recommendations, but it takes money and people to put recommendations into place. So, really, it's, it's cautiously optimistic.
1: Um, okay. let, let me play you a clip from Louise Arbor. Okay. Maybe the, the critical recommendation out of the many here is this one here. Listen.
7: I recommend that criminal sexual offenses should be within the exclusive jurisdiction. Of the civilian criminal courts.
1: She said the military has been insular, resistant to change, culturally, structurally, uh, and there's just been no accountability. Um, Does that jibe with what you saw in your experience?
7: Absolutely. I started in the 80s, and uh, there wasn't a lot of welcoming committees to women coming into some of the trades. Um, One of my first positions was sent to support the airborne, so it was... Definitely a – yeah, you had some, some people that just weren't happy that women were moving into traditionally male-dominated places, and they felt threatened. Uh, and how did they and, treat you? Uh, not very well. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Um, there, was, there was lots of great people. I want to make that really, really clear. It typically was only one or two people that just got it into their head that women were not supposed to be – in the military at all, and uh, that we should be home barefoot and pregnant type of thing. So, I would definitely say that over my whole time in the in the forces, it has changed. Um, there's still those few people that are convinced of that, but I think society itself has changed as well. Like the, the role of women in the workplace has changed greatly in many different mm. corporations, and and we're seeing a new generation of people come in. To the forces that, you know, they've had working mothers and they've had working families and they understand the, the importance and role of having multi-genders doing, you know, whatever they're skilled and able to do. Like, I've never been an advocate to say women should be allowed to do everything. Um, I think people should be allowed to do everything based on their skills and abilities. And we don't all have the body types to be able to do everything. And so I feel that that is a legitimate reason to you know, say that a person can't do something, but to say that a woman, or you know, a person of color, or anybody else can't do something just specifically because of their physical attributes has always been
1: oh. an annoyance to me. Hey, you got a path. There's obviously certain capabilities you need to do it, no matter yeah. who you are. Um, exactly. You, you you have talked about uh, speaking to um, Sam's Samplonius, um Being sexually assaulted three times by fellow military members, and you did not—you had no one to report to. And but you know, here we are. That's it. You're talking about the 80s, but here we are with uh, with the CDS General Vance, and he is having an inappropriate relationship, not telling the truth about it. The highest ranking soldier, military person. Um, What are you? What are your greatest concerns about another report? If you said, OK, I, I like what they're doing. I, I know this is important, but I've seen this movie before. What would your top key concerns be right now? And and frankly, questions to the to the defense minister. Uh, the
7: questions being, what are the priorities that they're going to do things in? So now that we've got a, you know, a chance that it, I haven't seen the report yet. Um, of course, I was just watching the the news conference, just as you called. So I, I got a few of the, the, the points from the news conference that I've seen so far, and it sounds like they've they've done the same thing, the minister's office and, and any connected people. They've looked at what the recommendations are. they prioritize them. We, we do recognize that some of the recommendations made are things that have already been implemented. Um, our biggest thing is going to be implementation. We're going to want to ask, okay, so there's these recommendations for specific things, and I think as a group, we need to to look at all the recommendations and really prioritize ourselves which ones we want to push forward to the, the beginning of the pile. And we can't really do that until we've had a really good look at it. We've gone back to our stakeholder groups that we have. We have an advisory group within our, within our group as well that is made up of retired people, serving people, because um, we have to remember what's happening here currently does affect the people that are presently serving, but there's also a lot of what's happening there that does affect the people that have served, you know, our veterans that are out there and they, they wanna see the changes as well, even though it's not going to affect them now, they still have that desire to, to, to know that the CAF that perhaps either hurt them or didn't treat them as well as it should is going to be a better place because we all want it to be a better place and for anybody coming into the system to have a way better experience than some of us did. Some of us had awesome experiences, And for the most part, I had an awesome experience too. There was just a bunch of people that uh, made it not a good experience. And in some cases, a couple people that made it the most traumatic and horrifying experiences of my life. So I don't want to see that happen to anyone else. And that's why we advocate the way we do now is because we want to make sure that others don't have to go through the pain that we've had to go through. And I feel that um, Minister Anand has made it very clear and is very sincere in her desire to want to do things. However, at the same time, she's also a political figure that she needs the money and the backing and the support of many things around her. So it's it's great that she's she's got the will to do it. We just hope that there's gonna they're going to find the ways to do it and to, to implement things as quickly as possible.
1: By the way, she is the, the minister is saying that uh, she will not recommend, uh, implement every one of the recommendations here. Uh, but she's going to tell the government uh, which ones she will and which ones she won't for whatever reason. So that's interesting. She's not going to, to do everything here. Uh, but you're right. The, the priorities are key. Um, Sam Samploni, first of all, I, I thank you, for, again, for the service to your country. Uh, I know you're the co-chair of It's Not Just 20,000. Um, just before, I, I don't even know if I have time for this, but I'm sure you have so many members of your group. Uh, for this day is not only a good day to see change, but probably reawakening a lot of very difficult moments in your lives.
7: Absolutely. We've put out numbers on our on our website and on our, um, our Facebook pages. Uh, we'll be doing a press release tonight to just really remind people to because you don't even realize it sometimes that it's going to affect you, but it does yeah. bring up old memories for some people. Um, it brings up hope. It, it, it makes some people, you know, that pessimism just maybe raises up. Uh, a lot of emotions out there. And I, yeah. mean, I think it's very important for people
1: to yeah. speak and get help, um, especially through those yeah. people who have, this does not go away. These are long, long, long tales on this. Uh, thank you again, Sam Samconius. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, We do have to take a short break. Uh, That was breaking news. We'll be right back with your texts and calls.
0: Time in your car doesn't have to be time wasted. Join the evolution of talk radio. This is the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network.
1: Welcome back to the show. So here's the number to call me, 1-855-633-1010, one 633 1010 or 71010. This weekend, Samantha Pope, our wonderful producer, ran her first Spartan. If you don't know what a Spartan is, there are these races where there's, you know, a dozen or 20 obstacles. You crawl under barbed wire, you jump through fire, you climb up things. It's muddy, it's tiring, it's great. I've done them. Uh, and if you don't make one of the obstacles, you've got to do burpees, which are gross. It was also the Ottawa race weekend, so people ran the 10, the 5, the half marathon, and the full marathon. And I remember my brother, who, who, who has, like 20 years ago, ran a marathon. He said to me, why do you love doing things like Spartans and marathons? He said, why don't I just do this? Why don't you do something fun? Like, if you really like pain, I'll whack you in the side of a head with a 2x4. You can feel all that pain, and then we can go do something fun. Like, you don't need to chase pain. And I say, well, I like it because I like the challenge. I love the challenge. And it leads me to believe, what is the biggest challenge that you've chosen to take on? Maybe it's a 5K. There was someone in their 90s that did the 5K. I think the 2K or the 5K. What's your biggest accomplishment? I can tell you in my life when I go through hard times and we've all gone through hard times or up and downs, I go back to what I call marathon brain. I do it all the time. I know I'm tired. I know it's a long day. I know something's weighing on me or something's happened. And I go back to that brain that when I train for a marathon, I just one foot in front of another, keep going, keep going. I know this is hard, but it will come to an end. It'll get, you know, it ends. And I just keep moving. And and I call it marathon brain. And it has helped me through a lot of dark times, to be candid. And I just keep going. And it and it and it and it takes some training. Uh, Sam was here. So so let me know. 1855 633 1010. Maybe you ran a marathon, maybe you did a Spartan, maybe you did an Ultra, maybe you just did a 5K. Maybe you just did something else, climbed a mountain. Sam, why did you end up doing a Spartan? Like what inspired you to do it and and how what was it like to crawl under? What was the hardest thing for you?
8: Right. So, I so my brother and I we were kind of wanting to find um, a challenge. We're both former competitive athletes and I really missed, you know, competing against teams and being competitive and all that. And so my brother and I were kind of thinking, "Oh, well, you know, what well, what's something that we can do to kind of get back into our competitive spirit and um I had some friends that had done Spartan races before, so I figured, you know what, it just it would just it was the perfect opportunity, so I signed up and oh my gosh, was it ever fun. You loved I had it. To, I, I loved it. I actually had to hobble to reach this microphone. I am so sore, but are I, you uh, actually sore? So
1: oh what my was the gosh. hardest part for you? Yeah, so I just I, want people to know, like you have to crawl under muddy barbed wire. Uh, you have to jump through fire. You have to run up a mountain. You've got to climb obstacles. You got to throw things. It, I, I, it's fun. But, but what was the hardest, the challenge that you thought I can't do it?
8: Right. So I, so I'd say there were definitely challenges that I didn't complete. Um, the monkey bars I couldn't. I had to do burpees. But the thing that I was most proud of, I would say, and my brother was also really um, proud that I had completed this as well, is that I am almost terrified. I'd say I'm terrified of heights. And there was this one challenge where you had to walk up this really large pyramid and um, a very similar obstacle as well, where you had to um, climb over like this vertical wall, essentially. And I didn't think that I was able to do it. I was just, I was afraid of heights. Were you shaking? You were yes. Shaking? Oh, oh really? you should have seen my legs. They, they were just shaking. I'm like, oh gosh, am I going to be able to complete this? And I just told myself like, I can do it. Like I'm almost done. Let's just keep pushing and I made it to the bottom. I didn't have to do any burpees. So good. We're all good. So
1: so good. 18556331010 yeah. or 71010. So no parachuting for you.
8: Uh no. Funny thing is that I've actually I've been thinking about doing skydiving, but I I've, I've been told that it's a little bit different. Like even if you're afraid of heights, skydiving, I've been told it's a different feeling but I'm not sure I, have I got to my
1: it. I got my parachute license when I was the day I turned 18 and my father I remember he came up in the plane with me he's like I wanna if I you're there and I remember what happens is when the jump master says you know I jump and you you kind of jump out the side of the plane but of course you can't see You know, if you're in the plane, you don't know what's happening. And for the first couple jumps, there's a rip cord anyway. So you go jump 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, check 1,000, and and then you check to see if your chute's opened. And if it's not, you pull your rip uh, for your emergency. But, uh, and then it opens and it's, you know, it's a low performance sort of army chute. And I remember my dad said after he he said, I I said to the jump master, "Uh, is my son, uh, did his parachute? I was like, yeah. He said, buddy, it's fine. It's good. But, but, yeah, I remember that, and uh, I got a caller on the line. Um, Joel, what's up? Hey, can you hear me okay, Evan? I got you perfectly, man. What, okay, what's your challenge? Okay, there
9: was so much static when I was listening to you talk to the other caller. Yeah, hey, hi. Uh, so back in the early 90s, because um, I've done some good walks. I've, I've done some bungee and skydiving. But early 90s, uh, my buddy moved to Cali, and I wanted to drive down there. So I drove through Canada, crashed out. Slept over in uh, Seattle. And from Seattle, I drove down to a place called Buena Park, California, which is in Orange County. That took me 24 hours and 25 minutes straight.
1: Wait, you did so, not stop? You didn't no, sleep? Sir. Well, I had to get gas. No, no, you got to pee and get gas. I get it. But, yeah. but like, why didn't you, like, enjoy? You just roared No, I, I just was
9: so, I didn't know anybody down on the way. You know, I just thought I, that's where I want to go. And I want to get there and enjoy myself. And so oh, when man. I lived there for a while, I drove back. And I didn't have much money left, but I wanted to beat my record, so I drove 36 and a half hours. I oh crashed between God. Nashville and Knoxville, Tennessee, on a on an off ramp.
1: Oh man! I hope that. Well, thank God. No, that, it was that, good, that, man. It was exciting. Uh, are you, you know, a were lot you of coffee, jacked up uh, on coffee? Or, yeah, maybe not Red Bull then, but yeah, that <laughs> no. is hilarious, Joel. Oh my God! So, so, so now for you, like a long drives, nothing you got to get used to it, you know, if you don't drive for a while
9: or you don't drive long excursions or trips, though. So, but, yeah, I know I've done uh, I've done some good, you know, we go up to a uh, Cochrane, um, you know, I've done some good runs uh, nice. here and there. But I, I, I bought an El Camino, an Ajax, actually. So that El Camino, I'll never forget that either. That was a great car.
1: The El Camino, man. (laughs) Joel, I love it. Joel and the El Camino is my vision of the day. Thanks, brother. Uh, I got someone. Hey, uh, this is Ken. Says, hey, Ev, I just ran my first 50K ultra trail race this week and a month before my 61st birthday. What a great day. Ken, Kenna, I have never done an ultra. Uh, That's eight kilometers longer than a marathon, but it's on a trail. They are hard. You're 61, Ken congratulations brother that is awesome wow totally inspirational uh bruce in barry what's going on
10: yes how are you doing evan
1: i'm fantastic what's your challenge
10: well i learned to teach english as a second language when i was oh 65 70 and i got the opportunity to go to beirut lebanon before they had the the big explosion thankfully and uh they have a industry there for teaching english as a second language Well, English, just his children uh, who were Syrian refugee kids. And I spent nine weeks, and I tell you, that was the biggest challenge I've ever faced, looking in the face of these kids who didn't understand a word of English and I didn't understand a word of Arabic, (laughs) trying to help them understand with big flashcards, uh, A for Apple, B for for Blue, (laughs) and it was a wonderful Uh, challenge. Maybe the most rewarding
1: uh, experience of your life, too?
10: Oh, I think so. Well, I'm now 80, so, I mean, that's about the end of it all for me, you know, going to all do all those wonderful things. But, yeah, it was very rewarding, yeah.
1: Oh, you're great. Hey, hey, thanks, Bruce. And, and by the way, it's not the end of it. If you're still going to Lebanon and teaching English to refugees for nine weeks, you're my kind of guy. Thank you, Bruce. And, and great. Oh, man, I have so many things. Evan, I'm 69. I've done 25 marathons since 2009. Hardest was Big Sur with the hills, Berlin, London. New York, Disney, Iceland. Wow, Laurel, way to go. I, I've done the London Marathon, never New York. Evan, I rode 313K last Saturday. Longest ride I've ever done. Are you mad? Well done. Evan, I, this is my favorite one. Evan, I once ate two Tim Horton breakfast sandwiches in one sitting and didn't use the toilet for 24 hours. That is a challenge. Uh, Jess goes, LOL, of got to be marriage and having children. Yeah, you know what? Great, greatest thing in the world. Someone else says, being a father. Evan, I've run my ninth marathon. <laughs> I, I, can I just say, being a father, uh, best challenge of my life. Loved it. Uh, I'm uh, running my ninth marathon. There's nothing better than training and putting your body through a marathon. Well done. Evan, I rode a seven-day mountain by Grayson in BC, says Rick. I love these. Keep sending me these. By the way, we got an awesome story coming up about roller skates next. Hang in there.
0: where you meet the people behind the story it's the evan solomon show on the iheart radio talk network
1: welcome back to the program i love to end the show with something that makes me smile because, you know, we've had the story of the sexual misconduct. We're going to have the, the legislation coming up at 4.30 on guns. So believe me, there's going to be enough things in this world to divide us all. But Renee Forrestal, a resident of the beautiful city of Halifax, has a great story uh, about roller skates. And uh, Renee joins us now. Renee, hi. How, how oh, well. First of all, how's it going there in Halifax?
11: It's beautiful, hot, sunny day, birds are chirping, it's lovely.
1: Now, roller skates are kind of back. Like, my wife and I used to like the old uh, roller blades, because my wife's a real good skater. So we like to roller blade around. I loved roller blades. She was a roller skater, which I wasn't. But just before we get to what happened here, tell me when you were young, you had some some hot roller skates. Is that right?
11: (laughs) I did. Well, you know, there was... I don't know, at the time, there weren't too many uh, varieties. They were white with red wheels, and they were just lovely. And they suited me just fine. Not a lot of people roller skated on quads around Halifax, so I was probably the only person I really knew that did that. On this.
1: quad? Like, this is like from the movies, right, when people would go to the roller rinks. Did you ever have, like, before we get to this, did you ever have a romance on the roller, but you know, go to the roller rink and hold hands, and there was a song on? No. Really? I did. I did go once
11: uh, to uh, one of the uh, events, but uh, yeah, it was uh, really kind of crowded and a little bit intimidating. I actually prefer to just roll around by myself on the waterfront.
1: And are you a, are you a, 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 like? Tell me what kind of skater you are. are. You like a great skater or just like a regular no, old skater? Just a regular old, trying to
11: stand up and keep up, and uh, you know, just take it easy. I'm not a derby queen or
1: anything okay so you're not that person where you zip by and you do the loop to loop and everyone's like whoa no 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 well because you got the hot skates you got the white leather and then you got the red wheels and the red laces you're grooving Mm -hmm. so what happened to your favorite roller skates
11: well i think at some point uh my school i was at the art college and they were having uh the very first yard sale and I thought wow this is cool a yard sale imagine I might uh, I'm just going to go around my room and pick up things and just see if they might sell anyway to my chagrin the roller skates were there I brought them and I sold them and I really uh, felt terrible as soon as they sold and and that was kind of the end because after that Roller skates quads weren't really available much. No,
1: it well uh, to blades. Well, the, the quads were done. The in
11: lanes. Yeah, the yeah. inlines came in and, and I really never liked the inlines. So
1: Okay, so then what happens? Forty years later, what rekindles the romance?
11: So in Halifax they're opening in Spryfield, around the corner from us. Um uh Upshaw's i think it's called shaw's roller dome and i thought well that's cool my 60th birthday was coming up and i thought you know i've always regretted selling the roller skates i've always regretted not roller skating and god you know it's it's now or never kind of thing i'm 60 um i think i'm gonna get some roller skates and just try it again so i um i went on uh marketplace, and I found some. The lady was selling some, so I bought them, and I tried them out, and um, I actually used them for a few weeks, but they had light-up wheels, <laughs> and they were kind of stiff. The trucks, which is the thing on the bottom, right. were pretty pretty tight. The wheels were pretty tight. There wasn't a lot of give, and I thought, gee, you know, those old skates they used to make like in the 70s. Uh, they were wonderful, those old skates I used to have. I wonder what the chances are of finding some uh, vintage ones. Anyway, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> Should I you go went online? on? So how did you find yeah. them? What ha- so then what happened? Well, I I went online and I thought, what are the chances? So I went on and I looked at some vintage skates, and, uh, oh, my God, they were so expensive, I couldn't believe it. They were like $150 and $140, and I thought, gee, you know, uh, not likely gonna gonna get a pair. So, but I put my notification in, and then uh, one morning, I think it was Thursday, Friday, or Wednesday morning, something like that. Last week, a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember now. Anyway, last week, um, it popped up that it was in my inbox, and uh, th- there was some skates on sale, and they were forty bucks. I thought, wow, what are the chances? And I was up early, so I thought, good, I'm gonna message them right away and the person and uh, see if they'll well, hang on to those for me for after school. Anyway, because they, you know, they, the problem with the ad though, didn't list the size. They looked pretty dirty. Uh, they looked, they looked old. Antique. They looked old. Oh
1: boy! Yeah, but pretty you sad. get no them and, and like, but you went for it anyway, right, Renee?
11: I went, I went for it because they were cheap, and I thought, well, you know, worth a try. They have red wheels, like my old ones. Anyway. Yeah, so I did I did go for it, yeah. And what happened when you saw these puppies? Well, I, I drove over, and the house kind of looked a little abandoned. And I got to say, I almost turned around and left because it was spooky. You know, there was no furniture. The doorbell was oh, broken. Boy. So I kind of did the COVID thing. I kind of knocked on the door and jumped back and kind of stepped back about 10 feet. <laughs> anyway... Um, this lovely guy comes out and he's like, Yeah, I'm cleaning up after my mom had passed away. And these, um, yeah, some of the things. So He had a pile of things from the basement. Anyway, so he kind of set them down and I came forward and man, they were dirty, filthy. I thought, meh. I thought they looked, the leather was hard looking. I thought, Oh, well, I might as well I've come this far. <laughs> so I thought, I slid my foot in and it was amazing. Cinderella. Uh,
1: Cinderella. Yeah.
11: Yeah, Cinderella Slipper Moment. I, 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 It was weird because I thought, what what the heck, they fit perfectly. Uh, my footprint was in the boot, as it were. And I said, like, who owned these? And he said, well, you know, they were in my mom's basement, like, a long time. And I said, oh, gee, what's the size? And I said, they fit perfectly. And as I turned back the tongue, I saw my name. <laughs>
1: In my handwriting. There it was. And then at that moment, were you like, what? These are my long-lost beloved rollers. My my quads are back. Well, I, I,
11: I was actually just dumbfounded. I was in disbelief for a few minutes. I thought, how did I get in your basement? <laughs> Who's are these? Uh, I thought, wait a minute, they're mine. Oh I said, oh, my gosh. gosh, you know. I know, I was stunned. And, how, uh, how cool is that? And-
1: you know, like like where we take our kids' skates to get sharpened. You can buy quads. Quads are back, but they're like two hundred and ninety nine bucks for I like know, the right? you know like the Viper Pulse light quad rollers. Mm-hmm. You got your? Would you pay for yours to get them back?
11: Forty bucks. Now, I did have to get new wheels on because <laughs> my old wheels were on them and they were in pretty rough shape. So and there were no laces. So I did get brand new wheels and new um, cushions. So it's kind of like a little shock absorber inside. Right. But worth uh, every yeah. penny. Absolutely. They fit perfectly. They're so comfortable and they give and they move with me. So as I go around corners, I can feel oh, I feel Renee. I feel my old moves. <laughs> Not Renee Forrester
1: but... gets her moves <laughs> back. Get rolling. All right. Well, that is my yeah. You know what? 40 years later, the love affair yeah. with your your quads are back. Renee, thanks for sharing that. Resident of Halifax, if you see Renee rolling around the city this summer, she is happy. She's on her own. Eight wheels, uh, folks. Lots coming up. I'll see you on Power Play tonight. That does it for us today. Thanks for listening.